Welcome to Fear and Greed Business News, Australia's best business podcast. It is Thursday, the 18th of January, 2024. I'm Michael Thompson, and good morning, Sean Aylmer. Good morning, Michael. Sean, of course, this week's shows are shortened versions of our normal shows. Next week, we'll be completely back to normal. Full-length bulletins and interviews every day and the week ahead with Stephen Kukoulos and everything else that you can think of. But it's been great this week to hear from listeners kind of settling back into work and getting Mm. back into the swing of things and and seeing fear and greed as part of those daily routines. I'm looking forward to getting back to normal, I've got to tell you. Well, we better get on with it then, Sean. Our main story today, this next few months and probably the the rest of the year really is going to be all about interest rates and when they will actually start to fall. Now, over the past 24 hours, there's been a few local economists that have come out saying that it could be sooner than you think. Uh, While in the US, officials are actually trying to temper the enthusiasm around rate cuts, saying that it might take longer than you think. Yeah, so let's start with Australia. Almost all economists think that there won't be any more rate rises, while the majority reckon there'll be rate cuts this year, probably not until the last quarter of the year. Generally, economists think rates will fall by around 50 basis points in 2024, though there's a fair bit of diversity given the uncertain times. Critical to the view is inflation, and the week after next, official December quarter CPI figures will be released. Now, yesterday, National Australia Bank Chief Economist Alan Oster changed his mind about the next move in rates. He did think they were going to go up. He thought they'd shift rates up again in February. Now, he's forecasting no move next month. He actually thinks the next move in interest rates will be down at the end of the year. But shares economist David Bassanese yesterday forecast 60 basis points of rate cuts this year on the back of inflation being lower than the Reserve Bank forecast. Bank of Queensland's chief economist, Peter Monckton, he's a little more cautious, saying falling inflation this year will take the stairs, not the elevator. And AMP Shane Oliver, a favourite of our show, forecasts the first rate cut in June, followed by another one later in the year. Plenty to chew on on interest rates locally, Michael. Yeah, there certainly is. It would be kind of intimidating being one of the first economists to make your call for the year, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you rather? There's a lot of temptation just to kind of go sit back, see what everyone else does, and then just kind of pick a figure somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I think they're probably last year. I mean, they've all got to have a view. That's what an economist is paid to do, is they're paid to have a view on interest rates, on unemployment, on economic growth, all that sort of stuff. And of course, it chops and changes. And what's hard is what Alan Oster did yesterday. So he came out and said, I'm changing my mind. I don't think rates are going to go up again. I think they're going to be flat. That's that's the uncomfortable moment, I think. Mm. Now, what about in the US? Yes. So rates in the United States, the world's biggest economy, matter because they set the tone for rates around the world, including Australia. Rates in the US started rising about six months before they did here. They stopped rising well before local rates plateaued, assuming they have plateaued. So it's fair to say if the US starts to cut rates, then Australian authorities could move a few months later, three, four, five, six months later. The overwhelming view in the US is that rates will start falling in March and there'll be cuts of about up 150 basis points this year. But a senior Federal Reserve governor, a guy called Christopher Waller, who, Michael, isn't Chris Waller a famous act? No, Christopher Walken. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. Maybe a long lost cousin or something or other. Hmm. Don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Just a, a long lost cousin with a slightly different name. Yeah. <laughs> actually, Chris Waller is actually the horse trainer. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, this bloke has nothing to do with Christopher Walken or Chris Waller. His name's Christopher Waller. 
and he's from the Reserve Bank, uh, the Federal Reserve in the US. He's come out and said the Fed shouldn't rush to cut rates until there's clear evidence inflation is well and truly defeated. That's probably not much. That sent global equities lower and the US dollar higher, meaning the Aussie dollar fell back below 66 US cents. The gist of the argument is that maybe US watchers have gotten a touch over-enthusiastic about rate cuts. Uh, Sean, I know it's only January, Mm. uh, but I'm going to be like an economist making my prediction now. Mm -hmm. But my prediction is that I reckon we've uh, hit a highlight of the Fear and Greed (laughs) podcast already, which is you speculating whether Christopher Waller and Christopher Walken... (laughs) could be related, even though they do not have the same surname. Long lost cousins. (laughs) Oh, goodness me. We've hit a high point (laughs) early. Now, how did the local share market finish yesterday? Uh, The S&P ASX 200 finished down a touch to 7,393 points, a new five-week low. Speculation around US rates not falling as fast as expected and muddling. Chinese growth figures weighed on the market with volume still well below normal levels. Worst performing sectors were energy, materials and real estate. Best were utilities and technology. All the major banks were lower with Commonwealth Bank and Westpac both off 1%. Woodside Energy was the worst of the mega caps. It was off more than 1%. The best was aristocrat leisure. Brambles did pretty well too. They were both up more than 1%. The A2 Milk Company was the best performer on the day, up 6%. But really, it's pretty quiet out there. Most of the action yesterday was really with the gold miners. Evolution Mining share price tumbled 17% after it said it had produced 161,000 ounces of gold last quarter at a cost of $1,618 per ounce. It also revised its production figures for its Canadian mine. That didn't impress analysts and it was sold off. It also meant that some of the other gold producers, including the majors Newmont, which fell 5%, and Northern Star, which fell 4%, were hit by the news. Interesting to see what happens when they bring out their quarterly production figures. Also worth a mention this morning, China reached its economic goal for 2023 as industrial production and investment climbed in the final stretch of the year. Gross domestic product grew 5.2% last year, according to the National Bureau of Statistics. Now, Beijing's official target was around 5%. Of course, what happens in China really matters to us because we sell them a lot of iron ore and a lot of commodities. Now, Sean, just staying with China, Beijing has lodged a diplomatic protest over Australia's message of congratulations for Taiwan's new elected president. Just another reason for the Beijing-Canberra relationship to kind of stay in rocky waters. I mean, things are better than a year ago. Ambassador Xiao Quan gave his annual address yesterday and he said he couldn't really put a date on when China's final trade sanctions against Australian exports will be removed. Earlier in the day, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese said he was confident the wine tariffs would be lifted by the end of March. Mr Zhao said improving defence relations including joint exercises and personnel exchanges, was one of his priorities for this year. He said China is ready to continue the momentum towards better ties following Mr Albanese's breakthrough visit to Beijing last year. Sean, this is an interesting story. Qantas suffered a further dive in the strength of its once dominant brand, tumbling to number 41 among local names. This comes after it was sued last year for allegedly selling tickets on cancelled flights and angering travellers with its flight credits policy and a whole bunch of other issues, really. Yeah, it's been a very sharp fall for the national carrier. But I wonder, Michael, Hmm. if I'm going to fly from Australia somewhere... I would still choose Qantas if possible. I basically purchase on price, to be honest. But if it's within a few hundred dollars or something like that, I will go Qantas. I'm surprised that its brand has fallen so far. 
I mean, it's got such a strong brand, notwithstanding all the garbage that went on last year. Yeah, there's still there's still a surprising amount of loyalty, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Despite all of that. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, it's uh, it's certainly not one amongst the top brands anymore. Woolies topped the list of Australia's biggest brands, according to Brand Finance Australia, which looks at the country's strongest and most valuable brands. The survey occurred well before the recent spat over whether the big supermarkets are treating customers fairly. Presumably, Woolies and Coles will take a bit of a hit on the back of that. The annual brand value and strength results are calculated back in October, meaning the survey also came before Optus's network outage, so it didn't that isn't reflected in the result. Overall, in terms of brand strength, Bunnings was number one, followed by IAG-owned NRMA, then Woolies, Telstra, and JB Hi-Fi, and finally Seek, according to a report in the Financial Review. In terms of brand value, as opposed to brand strength, brand value, Woolies comes in at number one, then Telstra, Commonwealth Bank, and Coles. What I think is interesting with all that we all complain about Telstra. We all complain about Commonwealth Bank. Certainly Woolies and Coles are getting their share of complaints at the moment. But, you know, they are very big companies and we still really like them. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. And maybe it's about the size of them and about the fact that um, the bigger you are, the more complaints you're going to get anyway. Uh, the yeah. fact is that if no one complains about you, it's probably because no one knows about you in the first place. That's probably true, Michael. Some wise marketing insights there from Michael Thompson. (laughs) Now, turning to a very serious story, Sean, this one, Foreign Minister Penny Wong in a visit to Israel has told the Netanyahu government uh, that Australians have strong concerns about the high numbers of civilian deaths in Gaza, urging Israel to take steps towards a ceasefire. As well as meetings with Israeli Foreign Minister Israel Katz and President Isaac Herzog in Jerusalem, Wong held an emotional hour-long encounter with the families of Israeli hostages being held in Gaza. She flew in from Jordan, having met that country's Foreign Minister and announced a $22 million boost in Australian aid for Palestinians affected by the conflict. Noting that democracies are held to high standards, Wong said Australians place a high importance on international law. Sean, the US military yesterday carried out new strikes linked to Houthi militants in Yemen amid escalating disruption to global trade, with more companies now diverting their energy and other cargo to avoid the Red Sea. Shell pours shipments through the waterway, according to the Wall Street Journal. Qatar Energy and BP are, among others, rerouting amid security concerns in the region. Japan's Mitsui OSK Lines, one of the big global shippers, has also joined other companies in diverting from the area, according to Bloomberg. The US military central command said its forces struck and destroyed four anti-ship ballistic missiles that the Houthis had prepared to launch from Yemen. The preemptive hit was the third round of strikes by American forces on Houthi targets in less than a week. The disruptions to Red Sea shipping is likely to push up prices of consumer goods. That's how it's going to affect us at home. It's particularly going to hit Europeans and it could slow or halt production at factories that produce goods that use that route. All right, one last story, Sean, and how about this? iPhones have dethroned Samsung devices to become the best-selling smartphone series over 2023. Now, I don't know about you. I was actually surprised by this. This is the first time that South Korea's largest company, Samsung, has lost the top spot since 2010. I, I guess I just I'm, I'm in that camp of just assuming that Apple is kind of all powerful and all dominant. Yeah, but in Europe and Asia, it's not. Certainly, the US it is, and in Australia, it's very dominant. 
But Samsung and other Android phones are huge in other areas. Are you a, is your family a, a, an Apple or an Android family? Oh, oh, we are we are firmly Apple. Anyone using an Android is is frowned upon. Yeah, so we have we have ten people in our household, like eight kids, Jackie and I, all Apple except for one, one holdout. <laughs> Are they the black sheep of the family just in general? And so they've just done this just to be well, a little they, bit different. They're not, but they are now. <laughs> you know, like a couple, there were a couple of other holdouts, but eventually they just came on board and they're all Apple users now. <laughs> but one holdout who <laughs> believes Samsung, and I mean, I don't know, I've never used Samsung, so for all I know, Samsung's a great device. Uh, anyway, you know, the iPhone actually accounts for a fifth of the global market nowadays. It, it sold 235 million phones, or they say 235 million shipments last year, according to research firm IDC. Wow. 235 million. Samsung was at 227 million. Quite incredible, isn't it? Oh, those are huge numbers. They are staggering figures. According to Bloomberg, in third and fourth places were a couple of Chinese device makers. They've got such a massive market, obviously. Apple's actually done really well because it's become more aggressive in some of the offers that it has made, particularly around premium devices. It managed to expand shipments in 2023 despite a lukewarm reception late in the year for the iPhone 15 in China, which is its biggest international market. Where some of these companies have really lost ground and Samsung's one just lost a bit of momentum, Apple somehow just keeps going. How long do you reckon the uh, 10th member of your household is going to be able to hold out He's pretty before stubborn. you just overwhelm them? He's pretty stubborn. In fact, I'll report back to you tomorrow. Yeah, please. Mm. <laughs> you report that, that one member of your family has actually moved out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> My entire extended family uh, is all Apple except for one person uh. who is my sister-in-law. And so we actually started an Apple group chat, as in on the iMessages, and the name, <laughs> which, which has got my parents in there, yeah. my brother and my sister and all of our kind of spouses and, and everyone, anyone who has a, an iPhone is invited to join this. And the iMessage chat is actually called the No Androids Club. <laughs> and, uh, and, fi- <laughs> and finally... Finally, after several years, Bell, the one holdout, <laughs> come on board. Gave in, got an iPhone, and joined the No Androids Club, and it's still called that. Excellent. All right, thank you very much, Sean. Thanks, Michael. It's Thursday, the eighteenth of January, twenty twenty-four. Make sure you're following the podcast, and please join us online on LinkedIn, Instagram, X, and Facebook. I'm Michael Thompson, and that was Fear and Greed Business News. Have a great day.